True Spouse of Jesus Christ, Chapter 1 The Merits of the Virgin Who Have Consecrated Themselves to God Virgins, who have the happiness of dedicating themselves to the love of Jesus Christ by consecrating to Him the lily of their purity, are in the first place as dear to God as His angels. They shall, says the Redeemer, be like the angels of God in heaven. Such is the immediate fruit of the virtue of chastity. Hence St. Ambrose says that whoever preserves his virtue is an angel, and that whoever violates it is a demon. Baronius relates that when a certain virgin called Georgia was at the point of death, a great multitude of doves was seen hovering above her, that when her body was brought to the church, they flew to the part of the roof which corresponded to the place where the corpse had been put, and remained there till after the internment. By all who saw them, these doves were regarded as angels, paying respect and homage to the body of the virgin. Chastity is justly styled an angelic and celestial virtue, because, says St. Ambrose, this virtue has ascended even to the heavens, and hence taken an example to be imitated on earth, and because only in heaven, the residence of its spouse, it is practiced in all its perfection. Besides a virgin that consecrates herself to Jesus Christ becomes his spouse. Hence, writing to his disciples, St. Paul did not hesitate to say, I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I have promised to present to Jesus Christ your soul, as so many chaste spouses. In the parable of the virgins, Jesus himself wished to be called their spouse. They went out to meet the bridegroom. They went in with him to marriage. The Redeemer, whenever he speaks of virgins, calls himself their spouse. But, where he speaks of others, he calls himself master, pastor, or father. Hence the elegant verse of St. Gregory Nazianzen. The chaste virgin is adorned by Christ her spouse. These espousals are perfected in faith, and I will espouse thee to me in faith. Jesus Christ has, in a special manner, merited for mankind the gift of virginity, and is therefore followed by virgins whithersoever he goeth. The mother of God once said to a soul that a spouse of Jesus Christ ought to have a great esteem for all the virtues, but that purity, by which she is principally assimilated to her divine spouse, should be held in the first place in her heart. St. Bernard assures us that all just souls are spouses of the Lord, but St. Anthony of Padua as that virgins consecrated to God are his spouses in a special manner. Hence St. Fulgentius calls Jesus Christ the only spouse of all consecrated virgins. A young person desirous of settling in the world will, if she is prudent in the first place, carefully inquire into the circumstances and dispositions of all who pretend to her affections, and will diligently seek to ascertain who of these is the most desiring of her heart, and from whom she may expect the greatest happiness in this life. A religious on the day of her profession is espoused to Jesus Christ, for in the ceremony of profession the bishop says to the novice, about to be professed, I espouse thee to Jesus Christ, may he preserve thee inviolate. 
Receive then, as his spouse, the ring of faith, that if thou serve him with fidelity, he may give thee an eternal crown. Let us then ask the spouse of the canticles, Who is this divine bridegroom? Tell me, O sacred spouse, what are the qualities of thy beloved, only object of thy affection, who renders thee the happiest of women? What manner of one is thy beloved of the beloved, O thou most beautiful among women? She will answer, My beloved is white and ruddy, chosen out of thousands. My beloved is rendered white by his innocence and ruddy by the ardor with which he loves his spouses. In a word, he is so loving, so perfect in all virtues, and at the same time so courteous and affable, that he is of all spouses the most dear and amiable. There is nothing, says St. Eucurius, more glorious, nothing more beautiful, nothing more magnificent than he is. These happy virgins, then, says St. Ignatius Martyr, who have consecrated to Jesus Christ, may be assured that they have obtained the most beautiful, the most noble, the most opulent, and the most amiable spouse that can be found in heaven or on earth. Hence Blessed Clare of Montefalco used to say that her virginity was so dear to her that rather than lose it she would be content to suffer the pains of hell during her whole life. Hence, as we learn that St. Ambrose, the glorious virgin St. Agnes, when to her was offered her husband, the son of the Roman prefect, justly answered that she had found a better spouse. St. Domitilia, the emperor's niece, through a love of virginity, refused the hand of Count Aurelian, and when it was argued that she might lawfully marry him because, although a Gentile, he would allow her to remain a Christian, she replied, if to a young woman were offered the choice of a monarch or a peasant, which would she prefer? If I marry Aurelian, I must renounce the nuptials of the king of heaven, and would not that be the extreme of folly? You may therefore tell the count that I cannot ascend to his proposal. Thus she preserved her virginity, which she had consecrated to Jesus Christ, Rather than prove unfaithful to her divine spouse, she suffered to be burned alive by her barbarous lover. The Holy Virgin St. Susanna made a similar reply to the Emperor Diocletian, who offered her the title of Empress on the condition that she would marry his son-in-law, Maximin, whom he had created Caesar. In punishment of her refusal, she was rewarded with the crown of martyrdom. Many other holy virgins have declined the nuptials of earthly monarchs to become the spouse of Jesus Christ. Thus, Blessed Jane the Infanta of Portugal refused the hand of Louis the Eleventh, King of France, Blessed Agnes that of Emperor Ferdinand II, and Elizabeth the daughter of the heiress of the King of Hungary rejected the proposal of marriage with Henry the Archduke of Austria. How much more happy are virgins than married women, even in this life? Besides the virgin that consecrates herself to Jesus Christ, is devoted entirely to God, in body as well as in mind. The unmarried woman, says St. Paul, and the virgin thinketh on the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in body and spirit. But she that is married thinketh on the things of the world, how she may please her husband. 
Virgins consecrated to God think only of God and desire only to belong to Him without reserve. But married persons, being of the world, can think of nothing but of the things of the world. Hence the Apostle adds, And this I speak for your profit, not to cast a snare upon you, but for that which is decent, and that which may give you power to attend upon the Lord without impediment. Thus poor worldlings meet with insurmountable difficulties in the way of virtue, and the more exalted their rank, the greater the obstacles of their sanctification. To become a saint in this world, it is necessary for the married woman to adopt the means of sanctification, to frequent the sacraments, to make long and frequent mental prayer, and to practice many interior and exterior mortifications, to love contempt, humiliations, and poverty, in a word, to make every effort in her power to please God. She must then be perfectly detached from the world and all its goods, and perfectly free from the control and tyranny of human ties. But how can a married person find the time and opportunities and helps necessary to recollection and continual application to the things of God? She that is married thinketh on the things of the world, how to please her husband. The married woman must provide for her family, educate her children, please her husband, his parents, brothers, and relatives, who are sometimes to her a constant source of trouble. Hence the Apostle says, Her heart must be divided, her affections fixed partly on her husband, partly on her children, and partly on God. What time can she have for continual prayer, for frequent communion, when with all her effort she is not able to attend to the wants of the house? The husband must be attended. If his directions be neglected, or his commands be not immediately executed, he breaks out into complaints and reproaches. The servants disturb the house at one time, or the clamor of their quarrels at another, by their importunate demands. The children, if small, are perpetual sources of annoyance, either by their cries and screams, or by the endless variety of their wants. If grown up, they are an occasion of still greater inquietude, fears and bitterness by associating with bad companions, by the dangers of which they are exposed, or the infirmities with which they are afflicted. How, in the midst of so many difficulties and embarrassments, is it possible for the married woman to attend to prayer or to preserve recollection, and as to her communions, they can scarcely be as frequent as once a week. She may indeed have strong desires of sanctification, but to pay great and constant attention to the affairs of her soul will be morally impossible. The very privation of the importunities of attending to the things of God may be made a source of great merit by patient submission to the divine will in the unhappy state in which she is placed. All this is indeed possible. But to practice patience and resignation in the midst of so many troubles and distractions, without the aid of prayer, of spiritual reading, or of the sacraments, will be exceedingly difficult and almost impracticable. 
What would be God that seculars were exposed to no other evils than the obstacles of their devotions to constant prayer and frequent use of the sacraments? Their greatest misfortune is to be in the continual danger of losing the grace of God and their own immortal souls. They must appear like their equals. They must employ servants and support their rank. They must go abroad to visit their friends, and in these visits they must converse with a variety of characters. At home they must hold constant intercourse with their own families and their relatives and with the friends of their husband. Oh, how great on such occasions is the danger of losing God! This is not understood by young persons, but it is well known to those who are settled in the world and who are daily exposed to such dangers. Oh, how unhappy and miserable is the life of the generality of married persons! I have known the circumstances, the feelings, and the dispositions of numberless married persons, from the highest to the lowest classes of society, and how few of them are content. The bad treatment of husbands, the disaffection of children, the wants of the family, the control of, rela of relations, the pain of childbirth, which are always accompanied with danger of death, the scruples and anxieties of conscience regarding the flight of occasions and the education of children, plunge poor seculars into endless troubles and agitations, fill their souls with a continual regret for not having been called to a happier and more holy state. God grant that in the midst of such troubles and agitations many of them may not lose their immortal soul, and that along with passing through a hell in this life they may not be condemned to an eternity of torments in the next. Such is the unhappy condition of many of those who have engaged in married state. But you will ask, are there no saints among so many thousands of married persons? I answer that there are some who sanctify themselves in the world by suffering a continual martyrdom, by bearing for God's sake all the crosses and troubles with patience and cheerfulness, and by peacefully and lovingly offering themselves in all things to God. There are some who attain this high degree of perfection, but they are as rare as white flies, and you will find that such holy souls are always employed in works of penance, and that they continually aspire after the sanctity and disengagement of those who have consecrated their virginity to Jesus Christ, devoted their lives to the glory of God, and have embraced the state of constant happiness. The state, then, of the virgins consecrated to Jesus Christ and who are entirely devoted to his divine love, is of all the states the most happy and sublime. They are free from the dangers to which married persons are necessarily exposed. Their affections are not fixed on their families, nor on men of the world, nor on goods of the earth, nor of the dress and vanities of women, to appear like their equals, to please their husbands, married persons must wear rich apparel and costly ornaments. But a virgin consecrated to Jesus Christ only requires a garment which will cover her body. In her vanity of dress, or the decoration of her person, would be a scandalous exhibition. Besides, consecrated virgins are not troubled with the cares of a house, a family, a husband, and their sole concern, the only desire of their heart, is to please Jesus Christ, to whom they have dedicated their souls and bodies. 
and all their affections. They are unshackled by worldly ties, by subjection to friends or to relatives, and are far removed from the noise and tumult of the world. Hence they have more time and better opportunities for prayer, spiritual reading, and the frequent communion. Their minds are more free to think on the affairs of their soul and to practice recollection and union with God. She that is a virgin, says Theodoret, has her mind free from useless thoughts. A religious then has no other occupation than to hold constant and familiar converse with God. Ecumenius on the commentary on the words of St. Paul, that she may be holy both in body and spirit, says that her body is sanctified by chastity and her spirit by familiarity with God. St. Anselm says that in the mere exemption from the cares of the world to think on the things of the Lord, virgins receive an abundant compensation for all their temporal sacrifices. Hence the saint adds that virgins consecrated to God not only shall receive great glory in heaven, but shall be also rewarded beforehand by the enjoyment of continual peace on earth. Excellence of Virginity Virgins who aspire to perfection are the beloved of Jesus Christ because they have consecrated to him their bodies and their souls and seek nothing in this life but to do his holy will. St. John, because he was a virgin, was called the beloved disciple of Jesus, whom Jesus loved. Hence, in the divine office, we read of him that he was chosen, a virgin, by the Lord, and of all the apostles was the most beloved. Virgins are called the first fruit of God, for, says St. John, they are virgins. These follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. These were purchased from among men, the first fruits of God, and to the Lamb. But why are the virgins called the first fruits of God? Because, says Cardinal Hugo, in his commentary on the preceding passage, as first fruits are the most delicious, so virgins consecrated to God are most pleasing and dear to him. The spouse in the canticle feedeth among the lilies. One of the sacred interpreters explaining these words says that as the devil revels in the uncleanliness of lust, so Christ feeds on the lilies of chastity. Venerable Bede asserts that the hymn of the Virgin is more agreeable to the Lamb than that of all other saints. So great is the excellence of virginity that the Holy Ghost says, No price is worthy of a continent soul. Hence Cardinal Hugo teaches that in the other vows, a dispensation is sometimes granted, but not in the vow of chastity, because such is the value of continence that it is loss cannot be compensated. The price of chastity may be estimated by the answer of Mary to the archangel Gabriel. How should this be done, because I know not man? By these words she showed her readiness to renounce the offered dignity of the mother of God rather than forfeit her virginal integrity. St. Cyprian says that virginity is the queen of all virtues and the possession of every good. Speaking of virginity, St. Ephraim says, If you have loved it, you will be favored by the Lord in all things. St. Bernardine of Siena teaches that virginity prepares the soul to see her spouse, Jesus, by faith in this life and by glory in the next. 
Oh, what an immense weight of glory is prepared for those who dedicate their virginity to Jesus Christ. The Redeemer showed to that great servant of God, Lucrezia Orsini, the sublime dignity to which consecrated virgins are raised in heaven. In the vision she exclaimed, Oh, how dear are the virgins to God and to Mary! Theologians teach that virgins are honored in heaven with a special crown of glory and of joy. And no man, says St. John, could say the canticle but those hundred and forty-four thousand who were purchased from the earth. St. Augustine, explaining this passage, says that the joys of the Virgin are not given to the other saints of God. The End There's much more, but that's all I'm going to read is two chapters, and I hope you found something in it that you liked. I enjoyed reading all of it myself. The next book we're going to read is called Katie John by Mary Calhoun, and I believe it's based on a true story. She says in the front, for my mother and father who still live in the old house, and the old house she's talking about is a new house they moved into and she didn't like it at all. She thought it was haunted. And this book is filled with dogs and lemonade stands and fires in the living room and all kinds of crazy things happening. But it has a funny and happy ending. So I think you'll enjoy it. Join us for that next.